I said in my introduction on the website that uh, we were going to invite God out of the closet this week <laughs> and talk about God's pronouns. Um, and I'm aware that in, in doing that, I might be making some of the um, atheists in the congregation, um, of whom I know there are many, scratch their heads, wonder, uh, you know, I, what am I going to get out of this? I don't even believe in God. I don't need to worry about God's pronouns. <laughs> Stick with me. This is for you, too. Um, but I want to begin with the choir who just sang for us. The choir, um, as you may know, if you've been to this 11 o'clock service before, usually ends, its, ends our service with a sung benediction. Um, very traditional prayer. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. Lovely, a lovely prayer. And it ends, it has traditionally ended, with, until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. It's a lovely, very human image for God and, being that we have a gendered language, a male image for God. It's a male hand. At some point a few years ago, the choir started saying, you know, that's a little limited and limiting, and started alternating between may God hold you in the palm of his hand and may God hold you in the palm of her hand. Offering this very different way of thinking about God and therefore thinking about ourselves. After all, we who come here are not all male and it's nice to be seen and heard in the images we have of the divine. Well, time went on, the choir kept thinking, our culture kept changing, led often by people on the margins, as it often is. And one of those groups that has been pushed to the margins is people for whom neither he nor she seems descriptive, who choose some other pronoun. There are many interesting neo-pronouns out there, and then there is the very old gender-neutral pronoun, of they. The week that I came to church to hear the choir for the first time sing, may God hold you in the palm of their hand, I had come to church with a heavy heart. A dear friend of my family had died at the age of only 31. And um, although I knew then and know many more people now, who use the pronoun they, they were the dearest, the closest to my family and my heart. And although I hear myself when the choir sings, may God hold you in the palm of her hand, um, I don't, and I don't know what it's like to be a person who is gender queer or gender non-binary and need to hear those, that, um, those pronouns as well. I knew that I felt that something about my life was seen and acknowledged and reflected by those words, by that word in particular, that day, that my dear friend for whom we were mourning so heavily would have been able to see themselves 
in our service. And so I saw them too. Really, in, in a way, that's where the sermon could end. That's where theology becomes so important regardless of what we believe. Um, and, though, and as a long-time non-believer in God, I am embarking on yet another theology degree right now. Um, because theology is, yes, it's very much about God and what human beings have said and believed and claimed about God, but it's also about us. Theology is anthropology. It's how do we see ourselves? So, as we know, the dominant image of God in, in the Bible, um, in both the Jewish and Christian tradition, is, is male. And along came feminist theologians um, 50-ish years ago um, in this culture to say, hold on, wait a minute. There's a real problem there. It seems to us that this is unnecessarily, inaccurately limiting God, limiting our tradition, and furthermore, we don't think it's a coincidence that the people who have run the church, who have taken so much authority for shaping our religious language, shaped this language. They are mostly male. No wonder that they see God as male, and then we are all expected to see God as male. And the problem with that, feminists, theologians, who have been so important to this tradition, led us in understanding, a really big problem with that is that when we say that God is male, we begin to worship maleness as we understand it. We may even be worshiping men without realizing it. Well, they realized it, and they said, hi. <laughs> Wake up. I say, you know, 50 or so years ago, as I said, Theodore Parker, 100 years earlier, was saying, dear mother, father, God. People have been worshiping gods of other genders, um, including goddesses and the divine feminine. But this was brought into the mainstream of Christianity and Judaism and other religions in our culture, including Unitarian Universalism, that had been dominated by these very male images. Now, as I said, um, I, I think it's true that when we elevate um, this language, male language, to speak of God only as male, then we're also elevating men. There's a religious word for this. It's idolatry. A word that means a lot to me, still. Worshipping something that is not worthy of being worshipped, or holding as divine something that is not divine or not the complete picture of the divine. As if there were such a thing as the complete picture. There never is. But, you know, speaking to Weja um, this week as we were planning the service really helped me understand um, more broadly what else that image can do. Because, as Weja shared with you all, they saw and see in, in the images of God, the many, many different images of a male God in um, the Christian tradition, a kind of masculinity that we need to lift up that isn't represented very much in our culture. And that's true, too. 
It's not all a thundering, angry king or a harsh judge, but also a tender, loving parent who has the compassion to forgive us again and again, no matter how we stray, how we hurt that parent. That's a wonderful image, and I'm glad we have it. And I'm glad particularly that men in our culture have it because our culture doesn't do so well by men giving a better, a, a, a healthy version of masculinity. Um, but you know, this exactly, this exactly gets on sort of the double edge that language has. I don't think this is just a theological problem, you see. I don't think it's just a religious problem. And this, fellow atheists, sister atheists, other atheists, is where atheists need this too. This is not just a problem about God. This is how language works. This is how images work. So let me say a little bit more about what I mean. I went off to, you know, theology program, a religion program, and studied feminist theology lo these many years ago and encountered this wonderful idea about how limiting it was to have only male images of God. Yes, yes, yes. But I had strode into that place um, as an atheist. I had left a patriarchal religion behind. It didn't work for me anymore. And although this wasn't particularly the reason, I said, yeah, not only is this God male, here's where I really have a problem. I have a problem with God being anthropomorphic at all, God having the shape of humanity. And I had really sound reasons for that, um, which is that I think the way that human beings make decisions, the way we act and so on, that's, it's a very problematic model for the creator of all that is. Because, you know, if, if, if somebody took and created this world the way we might create the things we create, machines and pottery out of clay and all the buildings and all the things we make, if God had created people like that, well, why were we such a mess? You know, how could I worship the creator of this world as broken and, and painful and evil as it can be, full of suffering? So I thought, you know, like many atheists, I'm okay with the idea of, of the divine being a spirit of life. I'm okay with the force that moves through us and makes us choose the right thing that speaks to us in the voice of conscience. That's something I could worship. If you want to call that God, okay. Doesn't sound like the God I was taught about, but, but, but that could work, right? Um, I could get behind worshiping love. But the thing is, all those things I just named, they're quite abstract. And it's all very well to point out the problems with anthropomorphizing God or masculinizing God. But the fact is, this is how language works because this is how we work. We are embodied beings, as feminist theology did a great job of reminding us. We live out our lives as animals. We, we breathe and sweat, we give birth, we die, we get sick, we bleed. We are bodies and we seek out images, we create images that we can relate to. 
just as women need to hear sometimes her hand. And non-binary people need to hear their hand. We all need to hear, oh, God has hands, perhaps, to understand we could be more like God. We can understand this force. It's not just an abstract force. It, it acts upon us. It shapes the world the way, a little bit, the way hands shape the world. That concreteness, that's important for our understanding. Because pure abstraction, you know, it kind of leaves our own embodiedness behind, and, and it's hard for us to connect to. On the other hand, well, here's the problem with concreteness. It's very limiting. So one of the suggestions that has come out of these, these more um, creative theologies and that many more mainstream, traditionally masculine theologies have begun to embrace is, you know, let's really lean into the many images that there are of God. There are a lot in the Bible. And yes, the pronoun is usually male, but not only. God speaks of God's self as a laboring woman, a woman in the throes of childbirth, giving birth to you, my people. What a wonderful image. Not complete either, but an image to think of God as what gives birth to us. Huh. What did give birth to us? And how thankful we must be to her, as well as to it, to them, that marvelous plural image. So here we have spirit of life, the closest that Unitarian Universalists come to having an anthem. And that's exactly what Carolyn McDade did. There's the spirit, quite an abstract sort of image, a spirit of life. And then there's the wind and the sea and roots and wings, and we're invited to imagine the divine as something that holds us the way the roots hold a tree and won't let us go. And then we're invited to imagine the divine as wings that lift us and give us the freedom to go anywhere. And all of those come together so that we can't get too stuck, because that's the problem. That's the downside of concrete language. We create an image and then we get stuck. We get in a rut. And before you know it, we're the priest in a religion saying, no, you can't speak of God as female. No, God actually is male. That's why we say he. And you've gotten way off track. Way, way off track. Instead of trying to shape ourselves in the image of something that is mighty and complex and beyond our understanding, you're trying to bring God down to something that we already understand. And this tension in language, this tension in images and, and metaphors, I think is exactly the tension that we have in religion, that we, we need to find ourselves in these images and we need to be brought beyond ourselves. And Weija gave us such a, a beautiful exposition of how that happens to, to Hagar, as her name is in Hebrew, Hagar in, um, in Genesis. When she, she flees her enslavement, 
her, her terrible condition as a stranger and a, a sex slave in the home of Abraham and Sarah with her, her uh, child-to-be with her. And without perhaps expecting it or knowing, as we just said, the name of the God who came to her, she says, you have seen me. You are the God who has seen me. Isn't that what we all need? Isn't that what we're trying to offer each other here for National Coming Out Day? Why? I say, wear, your, wear, a, wear a pronoun sticker. It's your way of saying, I see you no matter what your gender. I see you. I will use the language that you use for yourself because I want this to be a space where we are all seen. She was seen by the divine. And that is what she saw. Now, I've never had a mystical experience. I've longed for one. I've pretty much given up. I think my, I don't know, I'm a little too rooted and a little too unwinged maybe. But I have deep respect for people who do suddenly have the experience of, and this is a quote from a friend, being spoken to by the God they don't believe in. Because I know so many people, including in this congregation, people who are rooted and rational and don't want to just believe in, in wishful thinking, who are visited by a knowledge of something they did not even imagine existed. And that's what we're hearing from Hagar. Something she did not know that was beyond her experience, her experience of oppression and misery and going out into the desert where she thought surely she would die, came to her and said, you are giving birth to generations. Your child will be born, he will live, he will thrive. She was blessed. This is what we need. We need to be seen as we are and we need to be invited out into something more. And that's why the language that we use about God or anything else that we want to move towards has to be beyond us. It's a paradox. How can we see what is beyond us? How can we see what is beyond our own imaginations? Well, again, this variety of language can help. This multiplicity. This I, maybe the only language I use for God is a sort of benevolent force, but, but you use a shepherd, and you use a loving father, and you use a river, and maybe I can be invited into a way of living, a way of being that I've never seen before, that I've never imagined before, because your metaphors lead me there. That's why if we have to pick just one pronoun for God, I'm really glad the choir has been singing there every week. No one pronoun can do it, of course. Just like those images of God are not enough. No one prayer, one song could do it. But 
there is multiple and reminds us. God is of countless, countless forms. So I said I thought this was important to atheists, and I think it is for a couple reasons. One is this language, this expectation of what is meant by God, it shapes our whole culture. We all live in it. Those of us who believe in that kind of God or another kind of God or no God at all. So it's good to be mindful of what's going on there. Another is, I think a lot of atheists, as I was, are created by a God that's too small. And they never, in many cases, leave it behind. And I think they miss out too often on a chance to be in a community like this one. Because they walked away from a God who must have been cruel or callous, they think, to have created this world. Or who was exclusively male or exclusively human, and that didn't work for them. And fine, you can go and have a marvelous life and never engage with a God concept again, absolutely. But I also want people to know there is a home for people who are seeking to move beyond what we are now. And in this home, people don't all believe the same thing. We don't all use the same images for the divine, the same pronouns for ourselves, the same metaphors for where we want to go and who, whom we want to be. I love that psalm, Psalm 8, because of, it begins with that focus on God's name, the mightiness of God's name. God's name, which is not given there. In many ways, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Jewish Bible, God is the nameless one. But it talks about how this vastness, a mightiness of God who created with God's fingers this world, this universe, makes us feel, well, what is, said, what is described in that psalm is, is kind of how we feel, I think, when we look up at the stars. Who am I? I am so small. I am so insignificant. You are so beyond anything I could understand, much less be. And isn't it amazing that I am a part of this? This edge is where we're invited to be and where our language about God and each other has to invite us to be. I see you. Here you are. This is, this is who you are and I want to invite you out into something bigger. A God who is bigger, a universe who is bigger, an understanding of humanity beginning with ourselves that is bigger, more wondrous, more complex than we knew before. As we will sing, if we're making God that is making ourselves always more, always something more than we can quite understand. 
than we have become yet. And then the words of the hymn we'll shortly sing. We may create a community that includes, embraces all the living. So may we do, in the name of all the gods.